my sermon, what to do about the 22. And, and that's the number I want in the forefront of your mind, just right now, just kind of let it sink in, 22. That is our, oh, I kind of feel like Sesame Street. I've been watching a lot of Sesame Street. <laughs> you know how they say, and today's episode is brought to you by the number 22. Uh, so why, why this number? We'll get to that more, but hold on to it now. Also, I want, want you to hold on to this number kind of in the back of your mind throughout the week as we go on, as this week progresses, because we're coming to a, a special day, Veterans Day. To me, it's a special day. Uh, I can't say I've always held it as close to my heart, but uh, it is, is a special day. And as I look, I, I know we don't have very many veterans in the congregation. I, and we have Ed Moore, who served in the Air Force, Dan Welsh in the Marines, and yes, and that, that's why I, I invited Ed to, to read today, especially today. And I appreciate appreciate you reading and appreciate your service for, for kind of leading the way. Um, and I think it kind of helps to kind of distinguish the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. A lot of times as Americans, maybe we get these days intermixed where we kind of treat them both the same. So Memorial Day is designed to honor those who, who've died in combat, those who, get, who have given their lives. Veterans Day is to honor those who served, whether in combat or not, those who wore the uniform, but, but who are alive today in order to say thanks. And, and so that there's kind of a big difference there. And it's important to me for many reasons. First off, you guys, most of you already know that I was in the military. I served 12 years and I, I did a two, com, two, two tours in Iraq. Uh, so two years in combat. My father was also a veteran. He served two years in combat, one year in Vietnam and also the first Gulf War, Desert Shield. Actually, I don't know if that was a full year but he, he, he did serve in Desert Storm. Uh, we also have a nephew who's serving in the military now. His picture's smaller just because he's, he's new. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, and I know you, we have uh, family in the congregation who's in the military, sons and daughters. And so, so maybe this kind of touches with you a little bit. So what does this have to do with 22? So this number, this is a number of veterans who take their life every day. According to studies, 22 veterans every day commit suicide. And these are the veterans who are not currently serving in the military. There may be overlap in the study, but 22 veterans, that's roughly 8,030 veterans a year. Of that, 70% is 50 years or older. So it's not the current war. It's mostly Vietnam veterans and first Gulf War veterans. That's 70% of this 22 a day. Uh, not only that, when you look inside the service, the guys who are still wearing uniform right now, this is, um, as far as that number 22, that's been researched from 2012 to 2014. Hasn't really changed a lot. Inside the service, one soldier a day takes their life. These are the guys in uniform serving right now. And this was the um, cover story of Time Magazine 2012. That number hasn't significantly changed. The reason, or that, that begs the question why. why. Why do we have this 
I guess you can call it a crisis in, in, among our veterans. Uh, as I look at it and read about it, some of the first things that come to mind, especially for that Vietnam generation, is a, not just a lack of support, but, but actual antagonism. People would come off of an aircraft and be spit on or have things thrown at them, be insulted, be called a baby killer, be called all these terrible things and just kind of deal with that. And then you, that's impacted just with the fact that it's easily forgotten. We have a short memory where we, we put aside whatever people have done and don't appreciate their story. So that, that, that I think is what speaks to that number when we look at the, the Vietnam generation. Then we look forward, first Gulf War and, and current, current crisis, the war against terrorism, it's not so much a lack of support directly because when soldiers came back, a lot of times just parades, handshakes, pats on the back. I know when I came back, if I'm in the airport, I can't get, I can't leave the airport without somebody buying me a meal, uh, you know, and, and that, was, that was great. But there's kind of an underhanded statement. If not, it was said now, it's something that was back in 2006, 2005, where people would say, I support the troops, but I don't support the war. It's kind of basically saying you participated in, in an unjust war. And what you did, that you have, you have blood on your hands, that you're guilty of war crimes or something to that effect, because it doesn't, maybe when someone says it, they don't think that's what it comes across, but that's kind of how it comes across is this indirect lack of support. And the same thing, the, the idea of it, it's just easily forgotten. Uh, there's a, maybe a poster, I don't know how old it is, but it said something along the lives of, along the lines of America is not at war. America's soldiers are at war and America is at the mall because of this idea that there's such a separation between those that less than 1% of our population that's serving and going to combat and everyone who kind of doesn't recognize that. And I have to admit, there's times where I'm guilty of that. There's times where I get caught up in my own life and I don't remember my friends that are still in uniform and still going to Iraq or Afghanistan or mostly Afghanistan. So. So that's, that's, that's all part of it. So the question becomes, what are we to do about the 22? What do we as Christians, how can we do something about this number? And the suggestions I have are two things. First, to be able to affirm their service, affirm the service of our veterans. And the second is to affirm their salvation. Now, the passages that I want to draw your attention to for that comes from Romans 13, 3 through 5, and Psalm 91, 14 through 16, which is a, a lot to take in. I feel like a lot of this might just be a history lesson. Good thing, luckily, Carl spent the beginning of this year preaching the book of Romans, so everyone here is experts on, on Romans now. In case you missed the sermon and need some, back, some review, this is a little review. Uh, this is basic, your dates, you know, written 57, 58 AD, during the time of Nero. So it kind of keeps in mind that Nero wasn't really a, a well-loved 
emperor. He, he persecuted the Christians. He did a lot of terrible things. He, he, he punished and, and killed a, a lot of Christians. He's responsible for that. It was written by Paul. And many theologians, a lot of people call this his masterpiece. I mean, there's more commentaries on the book of Paul than, than there are probably copies of the Bible. Eh, that's not true. But there's probably enough commentaries on Paul to fill up this entire, this entire room with just commentaries on, on the book of Romans. It's his masterpiece. Everybody loves the book of Romans. Um, as far as the main thrust of the letter, it's this idea of the re- revelation of God's righteousness. And it, and it kind of goes through these, these stages. So the revelation of God's righteousness through condemnation, through justification, through sanctification, through sovereignty, and through transformed living. Now, kind of give you this big, broad picture to kind of focus you into where we're at for this passage. So if you look at the chapter breakdowns, and if you really want this, I can give you this slide, or you can just get a Bible knowledge commentary, which is where I stole it from. Uh, So this outline, our passage is at the very bottom section. Revelation of God's righteousness through transformed living. And when Paul writes about transformed living, he writes in certain in terms of relationships, in terms of ministry, uh, relationships with Christians and non-Christians, but he also has it transformed living in relation to authority. And so what does this have to do with affirmation of, of service? It has a connection to just war theory. Like I said before, part of the problem is this idea of saying you participated in an unjust war. I support the troops, but not the war. Or Vietnam, where it was just pure hatred against soldiers for having gone overseas. And some of these soldiers were drafted. This is the time of the draft. Some of them didn't even have a choice, but they went. And they come back to, to hatred and animosity. So just war theory is related to this verse. We know that based on the, the champions of, of just war theory, when just war theory first came out, this is not a new concept. St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas were, were the first to kind of lay out a just war theory for the church. And it wasn't just about just war. It's about what is a Christian's role in government. You know, should, they, should they pay a role? Should I stand way over here to the side and get myself completely out of the public circle? Or do I need to take a step in? Do I need to do something and be a part of the public arena. And in that, should I participate in combat? If my country is under attack, can I, as a Christian, serve in the military? And so these two theologians wrote about just war theory. And their key verse is Romans 13, 3 through 5, which is what we'll read today. It says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, 
it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but because of conscience. So that was their, their key verse as they spoke about just war theory. And I want to bring your attention to that bottom portion. Therefore, it is necessary. They focus on not just about punishment. It's not a matter of you go to jail or, or these terrible things can happen to you, but a matter of conscience, a matter of moral obligation. So their argument is they're saying, as Christians, we have a moral obligation to participate in, in the public arena or politics or, or war or, or these things that are going on around us. So for some, that could be simple as voting. I mean, how many guys voted last week? earlier this week. All right. I have to be honest, I missed it. Uh, yeah. So bad, bad leader. I'm not practicing what I preach. Uh, but uh, for some of us, it's as simple as voting. For some of us, it's holding public office or being part of a, say, political organization and, and helping what, what you believe to be a, a, a noble cause. For some, it's serving the police force, fire department. And for some, it's the armed forces. And these things aren't just a moral obligation, but for some of us, it's a calling. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon, and he says, If God calls you to be a preacher, don't stoop to be a king. And the idea, he's not making fun of being a king. The, the idea is that all, all jobs are, are necessary. It's the same thing as saying, if God calls you to be a doctor, don't stoop to be a preacher. You know, if God calls you to be this, don't stoop to be anything else. Basically, don't be anything else than what God calls you to do. So oftentimes in our society, we look at one profession. We say, oh, this guy's a doctor. That's a great, noble profession. Oh, you're a soldier? You, 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 you go kill people? Or See how we have that, that mix where we hold one thing higher than another? But these are callings. If they're callings, and this is what God called you to do, then they're, they're equal things. And that's kind of what this is getting towards, this, this idea that that's a calling. So we affirm the, veteran, the service of our veterans by letting them know that they participated, that their participation in, in war is just. It's not only just, it's a moral obligation. And that they pursued a noble calling. Those are the ways we can affirm their service and, and its relationship to, to Romans 3.5, 13.3.5, and, and just war theory. So the next point, uh, affirming their salvation, is, comes from Psalm 91, specifically verses 14 through 16. But we, I want to kind of go over the whole psalm. Luckily, Psalm 91 is not as long as the book of Romans. So it won't take as long to, to get caught up. As far as we don't know who wrote it, the main options to scholars are either Moses or David. So it's either... The time, the author, doesn't matter a whole lot, but what does matter is if it, either one of these two, we know that they, they led the Israelites in battle. They led the Israelites in combat at different points throughout, throughout history. They, that, that warfare oftentimes did involve being intense, it involved being in the wilderness, being in, in these rough situations where all they had was their trust in God when it comes to to surviving, to, to getting through. The subject is the security of the man who thoroughly trusts in God. And the arrangement, I just mentioned arrangement because the Psalms are songs. 
you know, it's like, I know Ben or Kathy or all, all the worship folks, so they understand like arrangement and, and this, this antiphonal thing just means there's like two groups. Like, it's like you have one group over here and they say one thing and this group over here responds with, with another similar thing. And it's these two voices communicating. So when you read it, it's supposed to sound like one, almost like one guy is saying this about God and the other guy is saying, yeah, it's almost like they're encouraging each other. Uh, but then at the end, this is a cool thing about this arrangement. At the end, there's a third voice. And the third voice is God himself. And God speaks. So I have these two guys talking about battle, and then God speaks. And another kind of background, this is just my own maybe personal history with it, and maybe military history with it, is it's considered the soldier's psalm. Almost any time a soldier's overseas, they're going to see this psalm. They're going to get it, whether it's on a bandana, on a handkerchief, on some sort of camouflage napkin. As for me, uh, my first tour in Iraq, I was given it in this little green cardstock card, and I laminated it. And I carried it with me every day. And it was, uh, we had shoulder pockets, so I put it right here in my sh left shoulder pocket. And before I went anywhere, I would read the psalm. It was my, I can't say I was, um, I understood my faith then. I don't know if I read it, to be honest, as more of a good luck charm or prayer than, than what I really should have been reading it for. But, but it was given to me before that tour, and I kept it with me the entire tour. I put it away in a box, and when I went back to Iraq the second time, I pulled it out, and I kept it again, and I've saved it ever since. So this is a little bit over 10 years old right here, this little piece of uh, laminate. And so it's the soldier's song. It means something. Soldiers understand this. They understand the language. They understand what they're talking about. Let's go ahead and read this song. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. He his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in your hands, so you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And this next piece, this is where God speaks. God says this. 
Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So that's Psalm 91. Again, that, that, those last two verses is where God speaks, so I want to point your attention as we talk about affirming the salvation of our soldiers. This is because he loves me. The psalmist is pointing out our relationship, our intimate relationship with God is what gives us access to that salvation. And it says, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It talks about that and also talks about I will rescue him at verse 14. Different words. Rescue and salvation, they kind of mean the same thing, but they're different words. And this, this connection between the, the protection we have here on earth in combat and that soldier who's been through the valley, who's been through these terrible situations, can look back and remember that God has protected him here and here and here and has brought him home. But also know salvation, which is different, is God is going to take us home, his home, with him. That salvation, that greater salvation. And it's available not just to, to civilians, but to soldiers. Anyone who professes Jesus Christ as Lord, who died for our sins and rose again, has that salvation. And sometimes soldiers could forget that based on what they've been through. So we can affirm the salvation of our soldiers by reminding them of that intimate relationship they have with God. And also letting them know that there's no delineation between who has that access. Even, even the criminal who was crucified and right next to Christ, he said, remember me as you go into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I assure you today, you will be in paradise with me. So all are, have that access. So those are my lessons. What to do about the 22. Affirm their service and affirm their salvation. My challenge to you guys is this thought, do you know any veterans? If you do, on Veterans Day, give them a call. Better yet, give them a call today if you know them. And make that number 22. With a phone call, make it 21. 20, 19, and so on.